Good morning. Well, I know you thought we would never get back to it, but we are back to the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 21. This is our fourth part of a series on Jesus' second coming, Luke chapter 21. If you could turn the clock back to September 11, 2001, and watch the events of 9-11 unfold all over again, and if you could watch the terror in the faces of people who decided that it was better to jump than it was to remain in the building, and the fear of those who were still caught inside of the building as it collapsed around them, what would you like to see done to the mastermind behind that plot? Think about it. In your heart, what would you like to see done to the mastermind behind that terror plot? If you could revisit 9-11 and then look forward in history to the aching hearts of the families that were devastated by the loss of fathers, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, friends, what should be done to the one who planned the attack? Was justice really served? I want to ask you that question. Think about it. Was justice really served? What really should have been done with Osama bin Laden? Well, let's go back in time a little further. This time we'll go back to World War II and observe the smoke of the furnaces of Nazi Germany, Auschwitz, and other places, the Nazi concentration camps, and look inside at the suffering, the agony, and the torture of other human beings, innocent people who were snatched from their life, snatched from their livelihood, snatched from their homes, taken away to suffer, to be brutally treated and eventually to die. And if you could see the pain and the sorrow and the loss in the faces and the hearts of the families of six million Jews who lost their loved ones, who were brutally killed, can I ask you a question? If you were there today, would you cry out for justice? And what really should have been done to Adolf Hitler, the mastermind behind that plot, was justice really served? Well, travel back to a time that's more recent history, 1973, in a U.S. courthouse where a decision was made in Roe v. Wade, and you would hear that abortions were finally legalized in the United States of America. And since that time, in 1973, until today, March 10, 2013, there has been a wholesale slaughter of nearly 56 million unborn children who have been, and there's no better way of saying it, sliced up and vacuumed out of their mother's wombs. We have a, uh, I'm going to leave this up for a couple of minutes. This is online current as it's happening. Okay? This is done as a, an average of the number of abortions that are performed in the United States on a daily basis. If you notice here on this chart, since we loaded this page just seconds ago, that's how many children have been aborted worldwide uh, in, the, in that time frame. This does not even count 
the millions more who have died because of abortifacient birth control methods. Worldwide, this abortion number now tops or is close to 1.3 billion people, 1.3 billion children since 1980. This is by far the worst holocaust that the world has ever seen. But no one hears the screams of the innocent children, the innocent lives that are being taken. It has often been called the silent holocaust or the silent scream. And how is justice served for those who were killed before they even saw the light of day? And what should happen to those who practice legalized murder? And how is justice served or dealt to individuals who accept abortion as a way out as a result of the sin of immorality? What should really be done with them or with the parents who encourage it or with the boyfriends who say this is the way to handle it? This is the way out. And then travel back to today and examine your own heart and examine my heart. And think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5.21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, that means empty-headed or fool, uh, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So we see that anger in the heart is equivalent in God's mind to murder. We are just as guilty as Adolf Hitler. We are just as guilty of Os- as Os- Osama bin Laden. We are just as guilty. That's the truth. And sin must be punished. Justice must be served. Justice pronounced by Jesus in that passage in Matthew is, you will be in danger of judgment, danger of the council, and danger of hell fire. So what should be done with the human race? What should be done with me? What should be done with you for crimes against God? What should God do if he's just, if he's fair, if he's righteous? The Bible tells us that God is also merciful. And God has provided a way of escape from judgment. And He always does. He judges sin righteously. He judges sin fairly. But He always provides a way of escape. And we see this from history. It's clearly shown in the account of Noah and the ark. In the early days of the world, God waited patiently for almost a thousand years. God uh, pronounced judgment at the time of Methuselah, and in his name, we see the, the uh, pronouncement of a judgment that is to come. And God let Methuselah live to the longest time in human history. God was waiting patiently, day by day, waiting for that time when he would destroy the world because of its sin. He even raised up Noah, who preached for about a hundred years as he built an ark. And the human race did not repent in Noah's day, and so God's wrath was poured out upon the earth, and God destroyed the earth with a flood. And he did this because he says in the scripture, every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And God acted in judgment, and God acted in wrath because of the sin of the world at that time. And only eight people were spared. God did provide a way of escape. Anybody could have taken it. 
They were all invited. God preached through Noah to his generation. And they refused to accept God's way of salvation. But God is a God of wrath. But God is a God of mercy who provided a way of escape. What should God do? The Bible says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. And we see today that the wickedness has increased. We see that the imagination of the thoughts of our hearts are evil. And it seems like it is escalating. And it is almost evil continuously. And Jesus said that's the way it would be before he comes again. God's justice and his wrath are also seen in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's justice is seen in many events through history. But we continue to ignore him. And people today hardly even think of God's wrath because it doesn't come swiftly upon them. And they don't recognize or realize that this is the mercy of God as he waits patiently. It's the long-suffering of God waiting for them to repent of their sins and turn to him. In Romans chapter 2 it says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is allowing his goodness and his mercy to be extended to you today so that you might repent and turn to him in a time of grace. But he says, In accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the, unright- of the righteous judgment of God. I want to tell you something, that the age of grace is almost over. It's very clear to me, and I think you'll see that as we look at this passage this morning. The day of wrath is almost upon us, and it is a day or a time of impending doom. And here, at this t- as the Lord was thinking about this, the disciples were walking with the Lord Jesus near the city of Jerusalem. They had left the city of Jerusalem. They were in it when they asked the question, and then Jesus gave them a quick answer, and then he explained it more later. And as they were walking, they are walking in this temple area, and they're saying, look at how beautiful this is. What a glorious temple we have. And we've known about it yesterday. It was here before we were born. We enjoy it on a day-by-day basis. And look at the structure. Look at how solid it is, how wonderful it is, how beautiful it is. It's got to be here for a long, long time to come. And Jesus said, don't be mistaken. It's going to be destroyed. And Jesus warned them that those things that they were, uh, uh, they were testing the beauty of would be destroyed. And the disciples asked the pertinent question, when? When will these things be? What sign will there be that these things are about to take place? This had to be so shocking to the disciples as they thought about it. It was here yesterday, it's here today, it's going to be here tomorrow, and it's going to be all of a sudden destroyed, it's all of a sudden going to be gone? And I think this is one of the things that we have to think about when we talk about the judgment of God and the wrath of God and what's to come. We are so used to things the way they are. We're so used to the status quo. We're so used to getting up in the morning and the sun shines and the, and the moon comes out at night and the stars are always there and there's always four seasons just like God promised and everything continues as it has from the beginning. And we expect that. But that's not the way it's going to be. And there's going to be a change. And we are like the disciples and we become so used to life and the way we live that it, it's, we're not even anticipating 
devastating changes. But I want to tell you something. We live on a disposable planet. Surprise you? It's a disposable planet. One day it's all going to be destroyed, but we have become complacent. We live on a beautiful earth. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the beauty of the earth. I enjoy the beauty of all the things that surround us. But we are so often caught up with the world and the things that are in the world that we, like the disciples, lose sight of the fact that all of this, all of this is perishing. Everything here, everything we know, everything we enjoy, it's all perishing. 2 Peter 3.10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Do you expect a thief to come? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And that is the point as we look at prophecy The point is that it should have an effect on us. Not just that we come away with more notes about the future and a better binder full of uh, notes and, and, and underlines in our Bible, but rather that it affects us personally. That Jesus is coming again. Our life should reflect that. Our days should reflect that. Our choices should reflect that. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, not only will the world perish, but you will perish too. Jesus says this, but God has extended his grace to you today and he has demonstrated his love to you by sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins in your place. The punishment that is coming, the punishment that is due to you, you can actually avoid because Jesus Christ bore your punishment in his own body on the tree and he poured his wrath out upon his son And if you're willing to receive him as your Lord and your Savior, you can avoid the wrath to come. No matter what you've done, no matter how far away you are from him today, no matter where you've been in your life, your sins can be forgiven. And your sins can be completely forgiven. You can be washed clean. You can be saved from the wrath to come. In Luke chapter 21, verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time, or the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. As we study Luke 21 today, we'll be comparing it to Revelation chapter 6. They actually dovetail quite nicely together. Next week, Lord willing, I hope to hand out to you a, a chart where you can see the events of the future um, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Revelation in kind of a, a grid. Um, I'm not quite finished that yet, but I'll, I'll try and get that for you for next week. In the meantime, I just want to bring you up to date real quick again with uh, this chart. So as you think about the judgments that are to come, there are 21 major judgments uh, or the outpouring of God's wrath in 21 different ways uh, that are to come. And so we have here uh, the human history right here. We, you have the cross here. The church begins in this yellow section right here. The beginning of the church age started when? Pentecost. The church age ends when? The rapture, okay? 
So the rapture is right in here. It's not shown on this chart, but it's right here, right before the tribulation. Once the church is taken out, believers who have come to know the Lord during this church age, that's when the time starts again. The Lord starts the clock. He concentrates primarily on Israel, but the, the, the beginning of the tribulation starts at that point. We've already looked at this over the last few weeks. There's a seven-year period of tribulation divided into two equal segments. The first half is called just generally the tribulation. The second half is called the great tribulation. It is my opinion, and I'll say it that way, it's my opinion that of the 21 judgments that are to come, the first six take place in the first half of the tribulation period. This chart here oops, um, shows the first six. The first six are called seal judgments. The next seven are called trumpet judgments. The third are called bowl judgments. I believe that if you look at the scripture, the seventh seal judgment actually includes all seven trumpet judgments and all seven bowl judgments. If you get, and so we've listed it that way in here. The seventh trumpet judgment includes all seven bowl judgments. The Bible describes these judgments as a woman in childbirth. Most of you ladies have either had babies or know people who have had babies, and you know that when it comes to the time of birth, right before that, there begins to be labor pains. And those labor pains um, are contractions that are beginning to work in the body of the woman to eventually expel the child. And the idea that, that happens is this, that the labor pains are um, lighter, and the time in between them is longer at the beginning. And then as you get closer and closer to the actual, deliver, the actual delivery, they increase in frequency, they increase in intensity. Am I correct? Everybody? Okay. And it hurts. And so if the Lord is describing the judgments in terms of labor pains and of a birth, then the frequency of events is going to increase as we draw closer to the time of the end. The intensity is going to increase as we come closer to the end. And it's going to hurt. And there's going to be a lot of people dead. A lot. Okay? It's a serious, serious uh, business here. In Revelation chapter 5, we see a scene in heaven. And in this scene in heaven, John, who is the writer of the book of Revelation... Um, describes what he sees. He sees a scroll, and the scroll has seven seals on it, and no one is worthy to open the scroll and to uh, ex explain the contents of the scroll. So the question is this, and this is the question that's asked, who is there in all of the universe who is worthy to judge the world? Who is worthy to judge the sins of the world? I'm not. Why not? I'm a sinner. You're not, why not? You're a sinner. And as the entire universe and all of history is ransacked, there is no one found who is worthy to open the scroll. And then comes one forward who is the Lamb of God, who shed His own blood, who died for our sins. And He alone is worthy to open the, sc the scroll and to release the, the judgments on mankind. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who alone is worthy. He is the fair, impartial, and just judge 
of all the world. And his judgment begins upon sinners who have rejected God's only way of salvation, that is through his shed blood. So the punishment begins. So if you have two hands, put your finger or a piece of paper in Luke chapter 21, and then look over at Revelation chapter 6, because we're going to look at these side by side. The punishment begins in Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to run through the judgments as Jesus describes them in Luke, but then see the full explanation of them in Revelation. So the first uh, judgment that comes, Jesus, uh, we already read this portion of it. He says, take heed and you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, the time is dr- or the time is drawn near. Do not go after them. And so this is the first judgment, it's the conqueror. Uh, that is to come. In Luke, we see that many will come and claim that they are the Messiah, claim that they are Jesus Christ. We've seen this in history already. We see this in our day already. There are people, the names may sound familiar to you. David Koresh, sound familiar? Sun Myung Moon, even Charles Manson claimed to be Jesus Christ. Jim Jones, Marshall Applewhite, A.J. Miller, and there are probably many more to come, but these are just the birth pangs. They're not the full-blown version of what Jesus is talking about here. What he is talking about here is the Antichrist, and and he has not come forward yet, or at least we don't recognize him yet. The Bible is clear. Jesus is clear. He says, do not be deceived by them. Uh, Jesus is coming again. First, he's coming in the clouds for his saints, then he is coming to the earth with his saints at the end of the tribulation period. And every eye will see him. He will be unmistakable. Nobody will be confused when he comes back again. Now, in Revelation 6, 1 and 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. Notice he doesn't have an arrow. And a crown was given to him, which means what? He's reigning. And he went out conquering and to conquer. How do you conquer? How do you go out conquering and to conquer when you only have a bow and no arrow? The command comes, we're going to look at this, come and see, could just as easily be translated, go, go. The first of the four horsemen is released to go out into the world in a campaign of conquest. The white horse pictures that. That's the conquest. The one who sits on the horse has a Stephanos, they call it. It's a victor's crown on his head. And as he's going out to conquer, or conquering and to conquer, he is actually taking over countries. And he is coming, rising in power and rising in authority. The victor's crown on his head, and he rides triumphantly, invading country after country and bringing them into subjection uh, to himself. This is the Antichrist who is let loose on the earth. The world bows to him as its sovereign king, and the world will eventually, at the middle of the tribulation period, uh, bow to him as God, and he will set up an image um, as such in the temple. Now, I can't say with absolute certainty, but I believe in my heart, that he is alive today. I don't know who he is, but I believe that's how close we are. I won't uh, speculate any more than that. Much more is said about him in Revelation 13, 17, and 18. But he holds a bow, no arrows in his hand. And it's probable probable that as you look at the, uh, 
the, the explanation of the Antichrist that he conquers not by military might, but rather by uh, intrigue and uh, diplomacy and so on. And he begins to take over countries that way. But he does definitely overcome other kings. It could simply be that he holds in his hand the threat of war. The bow, no arrow, but a threat of war. And that's enough. Okay, we, we've had that in history. The whole Cold War issue was that, the threat of nuclear holocaust. Nobody ever fired one, but the threat was there, and it was enough of a deterrent. Well, here he's actually taking over. We do know this, that at the beginning of the tribulation, he creates a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And we saw in previous weeks that he breaks it midstream, halfway mark, um, and that's when he goes out and uh, begins to try to destroy Israel. He will deceive the nations, Matthew 24, 5. But remember, God is merciful, and he has told us the truth today. But if you reject his truth today, he will send a strong delusion. So those who have heard the gospel now, and I want to reemphasize this because we've had questions about this over the last few weeks. Those who have heard the gospel now and refuse to believe it, they enter into the tribulation period they will not believe the gospel then. God will send a strong delusion upon them so that they will not, they cannot believe at that point. The second seal is broken, and it is anarchy and war. Luke chapter 21, 9 through 10. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Revelation 6, 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take, to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. The symbol that we have up here is the anarchist's symbol. If you have seen any of the Occupy Oakland or Occupy whatever or Occupy the world or any kind of uprising, you will often see this symbol spray painted on buildings. It's an A with a circle around it, okay? It's an anarchist um, symbol. Um, and that's what I really believe is taking place here. It's not just that there's war. There will be war, but that there is Anarchy, which means that there is just a, a lack of submission to any kind of authority, any kind of government uh, at all. It's basically every man for himself, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Rumors of war will abound. Skirmishes, civil disobediences will blaze across the headlines of the nightly news. The second horse is fiery red in color. It's released into the world and takes peace away from the earth. That's anarchy. Revolutions will break out. And there will be no way to police the unrest. Many of you are too young to remember the riots in uh, Berkeley. Tom, you were there, right? I think you were an officer at that time. Um, and the unrest that was there in Berkeley. It was an epicenter of riots. But you look back at that time and you compare it to what's taking place today, that was small potatoes compared to what is taking place today. We saw unrest simmering just below the surface in the Occupy movements last summer. The internet, cell phones, and instant social media has already turned countries upside down in the last year or so. It fueled the Egyptian revolution, 
and helped facilitate protests and social unrest in many of the Arab countries over the last decade, uh, including Tunisia, Egypt, Yemen, Jordan, uh, Bahrain, Syria, and Morocco. All of these countries, to some degree or other, have been influenced by the unrest through social media. It's not completely at fault, but it's part of the mix. It certainly got the attention of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency at the time. It's hard enough to control a mob of hundreds or a mob of thousands. But when you have social media at work and you're bringing out tens of thousands of people to uh, create unrest, there's no police force that can handle something like that. I don't care what they have. And there will be no longer respect of any rules or any authority. That's the anarchist mantra. No respect under no authority. Have you seen the sign on the bumper stickers, question authority? That's it. That's the anarchist motto. Question every authority. There is no God. There is no uh, government authorities. I am my own authority. I will do as I please. That's what's going to happen at this time. Throughout the world today, we have birth pangs. That's all they are. What we are seeing today is not the full-blown version of it. Mobs enter into streets, but the city, uh, but the police or the military, the peace officers, they repel them so far. They've been repelled to a certain degree. But at this time, there is no police department, there is no military that is going to be able to squash it uh, completely. The fighting and looting and disturbances will spill out into residential neighborhoods. Pillaging and killing will be common. Men and women will be seeking for a safety net. And all the things that they come to expect, like going home and being able to lock the doors and windows behind them and have a security, it's going to be gone. They will not have that. They will not be safe. And people, the Bible says, will be crying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Business as usual will not be business as usual. And the problem will be that everything that we have come to rely on for protection will be gone. There is no restrainer. It's an interesting thing that the term is used of the restrainer, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit right now is in dwelling believers in the church. The church is going to be gone. We are actually called the salt of the earth. We're actually to hold back the corruption. That's part of our job as Christians as being the salt of the earth. But when the believers are taken out, and there is no longer a salt to hold back the correction, there is no longer the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in thousands or millions of people, and there is no longer a restrainer holding back the tide of evil, then all bets are off. The world has only seen glimpses of what is to come, but during that time, there will be none to restrain lawlessness. All restraint will be gone. Everything that we've come to expect in law and order will be lawlessness and chaos. Every safety net will be taken away. Obviously, men's hearts will be filled with fear during this time. How do you live in a society like that, where everything that you've known and come to expect and all the safety nets are gone? How do you live? Seal number three. Economic devastation. Luke 21, verses 10 and first part of verse 11. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. Revelation 6, verse 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, 
I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. Um, Let me stop there for a second. A quart of wheat. A denarius is a full day's wage. If you make $100 a day, then you are paying $100 just to eat one meal. That's what that amount of wheat would be um, worth. A quart of wheat for a full day's wage and three quarts of barley for a denarius. So that's what he's saying is you either buy wheat and have one meal or you buy barley and you can have three meals, but it's a poor uh, substitute for wheat. And uh, he says, do not harm the oil and wine. The third horse and rider are sent into the world. And when the third seal is broken, it's a black horse representing death. And the rider had a pair of scales in his hand, which represents business or trade. Not only is mankind causing carnage through war, but nature itself disrupts calm by earthquakes. And what happens after this uh, results in famine. Normal business has come to a grinding halt. Farms have been left desolate. Shipments are not getting through to suppliers. Shopping malls and grocery stores have been looted. Now there's scarcity of essential goods. And the, and the price, uh, there's price gouging. And uh, inflation is shot through the roof. Starvation is the outcome. Ten years ago, uh, we went into Costco and we purchased a 50-pound sack of flour. And that cost us $8. Today, that same sack at Costco is $17.50. Ten years later, you say, wow, that's inflation. Well, that's still a 50-pound sack of flour. And my wages have probably gone up in in, uh, proportion. But in this day, as I say, you've got basically a plastic bag full of wheat for about $100. Okay? That's what you're living off of. These are famine conditions. And terrible atrocities will occur and probably be very similar to the conditions in Samaria when Syria laid siege to it in 2 Kings 6.24. I'm going to read this to you. It's very graphic, but it's what happens when people are desperate. And they will be desperate. Um, It says that the the famine was so great that people were eating donkey heads to stay alive and they were getting a premium price for them. But as the famine continued, a woman came to the king and she said this, Help, my lord, O king. And he asked her what her problem was and she replied, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him And I said to her on the next day, give me your son that we may eat him. But she's hidden him. She felt gypped. She felt that an injustice had been done, that she couldn't eat her friend's son. That's how desperate the conditions were. One was boiled and eaten the day before, and they wanted to eat the other one that day. Financially, obviously, credit cards are maxed to the limit, are useless to keep up with skyrocketing inflation. The world's financial systems take a um, nosedive on any bad news, but can you imagine the bad news that is coming forth every single day during the tribulation period? Things are disastrous and will bring the world into financial collapse. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. Remember, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. No doubt countries will teeter on the edge of bankruptcy. 
Governments will collapse. Anarchy will be the rule, not the exception. And everyone will feel a longing for somebody to step into the void or the vacuum that is there and to deliver the world from the disaster that is impending. What a setup for the Antichrist, huh? And he'll to become a world leader. Jesus said that pestilences would also come. Because of the conditions of the world at this time, malnutrition, lack of resources, lack of essential supplies, disease will be rampant. Health care. <laughs> We're talking about national health care. It'll be non-existent. And it will be so unaffordable that most uh, could never afford it anyway. Christian organizations that operate today, um, those who have at least a base uh, in Christianity or history in Christianity, Red Cross and others like it, um, which provided care and relief during worldwide disasters, there's no way they're going to keep up with this. Epidemics of enormous proportions will result in death of millions. Our so-called wonder drugs will be absolutely futile at that time. Antibiotic-resistant strains of disease will sweep the earth, leaving corpses in their wake. And I don't doubt that at the same time, countries will unleash bio biological weapons that they currently have. Just to make it worse, the security of money will be gone. The comfort of ex that's expected from normal health care will vanish. And then the fourth seal is broken loose, which is death and destruction. Now, I don't think there's a parallel to this in Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel is kind of a summary of what's to come. Revelation is a fuller picture. So let's go to Revelation 6, 7 through 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger and with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And so the fourth horseman is released. It's a pale horse. The rider's name is Death. Hades followed with him. And the broken seal results in the death of one quarter of the world's population. Let's make an assumption. Let's say that the Lord doesn't come until there are over 8 billion people on earth. We're almost there. We may be there. I don't know. But we're close. And let's just say there are, let's say it's 8.5 million. I'm going to be very generous. Eight and a half million, billion, pardon me, people on earth. And let's say there's half a billion Christians. I don't think there are, but let's just say there are. And they're all taken out. And so the world is left with eight billion people. And a quarter of those people die in this one plague. How many? Two billion people. Okay, we've never seen anything like that in all of history. This is in addition to those who have already died as a result of the wars and the anarchy. It would not be unreasonable to estimate that um, millions had already died and that this is another two billion more or less. But a quarter of the population die. Some will die as a result of sword or starvation. Others will be put to death. Whether there's racial or political or social uh, religious tensions that now exist today, they'll just be magnified at that time. And, and it says even the beasts will kill um, others. Since food is in short supply, how are the beasts going to live? Well, they're going to go after humans. Even the animal kingdom will turn against humans. And the things that we thought were stable and normal in life, they're all in disarray. 
Enemies will be on every side. Suspicion, fears, confusion will abound. Seal number five, mass murder of believers. Luke 21, 12 says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls. Then Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These, by the way, are those who in the tribulation period have stood up for the Lord and they've been executed. And they are now uh, in heaven. Uh, they are called the, alt, uh, the souls under the altar. Um, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so the full number of people who are going to be killed during the tribulation period for taking any kind of stand for the Lord um, is not completed yet. People at this time will clearly see that um, the plagues are not simply from human sources. Remember the magicians in Egypt, they finally admitted, this is the finger of God. And so too will the world recognize that God is the one who is pouring out his retribution, his wrath on sinners for their sin. And they will look for people to blame. And those who are believers will become easy targets. We have it so easy. We're not persecuted like these will be. And yet we remain silent, and I wonder why. This is a time of grace. It's a time of easy opportunities to share the gospel. If you saw people in a burning building and you knew the way of escape, wouldn't you tell them? Wouldn't you call out to them? People are in a burning building. It's called the world, the earth. And it's going to be destroyed. It's time for us to speak up and tell them. Your opportunity to escape is now. In the tribulation, it will be extremely difficult to be a believer. Those who trust in the Lord will be killed. Those martyrs are the ones who cry out to the Lord to avenge them, and he will. Next, seal number six, cosmic disturbances. Verse 11, um, Luke 21 and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Revelation 6, verse 12. And I looked and he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. This is no small event over some uh, obscure city in Russia. This is happening worldwide. 
Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings, in fact, in uh, the Old Testament, it actually describes an event where the earth must have been hit by some enormous uh, body uh, from outer space. And it says that the, that the earth is reeling to and fro like a drunken man. Years ago, I think on a Sunday morning, Eric was speaking and he described for us an event that took place in the Indian Ocean. There was an earthquake of a magnitude of almost nine, I think it was, or something like that. And uh, also the Japanese earthquake that took place, um, what was it, last year? The scientists said that the earth wobbled. But I don't feel any wobble. And it didn't, it didn't destroy the earth in such a way that the islands were swept over by water and the mountains were moved from their place. But can you imagine an, an event so strong, so devastating, that it actually causes the earth's rotation to begin to, to wobble in such a way that it's like being walking with a drunken man, reeling to and fro like a drunken man. And it's causing such havoc in the world that the islands are displaced and the mountains are moved from their place. That's what he's talking about here. Um, and the kings of the earth, verse 15, and great men and rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The sixth seal marks a distinct change in the type of judgment. The first five, in a sense, have to do with what man unleashes upon man. Wars, uh, sickness, famines, all this sort of stuff. It's the lawlessness of man and the hatred of man without restraint in the first five. But the sixth seal marks an event that is clearly the finger of God. What the magician said about the plagues of Egypt. Even nature itself will turn against man. God's wrath is being poured out upon sinners who refuse Him and refuse to repent and refuse to turn to Him for salvation and forgiveness for their sins against Him. And it begins with a phenomenal earthquake. Angelo was on the freeway in the Loma Prieta earthquake. He had just gotten off the two-story um, structure that collapsed in Oakland. Um, and he, I think you described it to me, that shortly, maybe the, the next day, that you felt the back tire of your bike wobbling. Am I correct on that? And uh, he felt the movement. He thought he had a flat tire. And then he realized that the world was collapsing around him. And this earthquake that we had here, the Loma Prieta earthquake, uh, very strong, devastating. They're still not finished making a bridge to replace the one that collapsed. That was back in 1989. That is nothing compared to the earthquake that the Lord is talking about here. In addition to what happens on earth, there are unprecedented cosmic disturbances. The sun becomes blackened. The moon turns red as blood. And the stars, I don't know what he is referring to here exactly. We talk about falling stars, meaning meteorites and things like that, or little specks that come into our atmosphere. Perhaps he's not talking about suns coming into the world, obviously. 
But he's talking about heavenly bodies. That's what he means. That are coming in, meteorites, comets, other space bodies, falling in abundance to the earth like figs falling off a tree in a major windstorm. The sky itself recedes like a scroll when it is rolled up. The entire landmass is moved out of place, and every island is moved from its mooring. At this point, men's hearts are filled with fear. No wonder. And you would think that men who would fear like this and be afraid would turn their hearts to God and say, God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for our sins and save us from our unrighteousness. But instead, they try to find solace, not in God, but in mountains. And they're calling upon mountains and rocks to fall on them to just extinguish their life. And it won't happen. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it is. But rather than repent... They flee to the mountains and hide, it says, from the wrath of the Lamb. They, they clearly recognize this is the hand of God. And verse 17 of Revelation 6 asks a pointed question. It says this, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I want to reemphasize something to you this morning. God is a God of mercy. And that the fact that you are here today, and that you can still avoid the wrath to come if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation tells me that God is a merciful God. He is long-suffering. Christ alone can save your soul. And I want to ask you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, will you today trust Him as your Lord and your Savior and avoid the wrath to come? If you will, instead of judgment, you will receive His mercy. Instead of punishment for your sins, you will receive forgiveness for your sins. And I can promise you, based on the Word of God, that if you trust Him today, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we think of the events that are to come, we shudder to think of those who could have, should have, trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, and did not. Lord, we cry out to you today, Lord, that there will be none here like that, but that every single one who still does not know you today would find peace, hope, salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they would flee from the wrath to come. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in showing us what is to come, warning us, about the wrath that is to be poured out upon the earth. Lord, you are a righteous and just and fair judge. um, And sin needs to be punished. And we know that, Lord. We thank you that you punished our sin on Jesus Christ on the cross, that he bore in his own body our suffering, our pain, that he bore the wrath for me and any who believe in him. We just cry out to you today, Lord, that there would be some, that all would trust you as their Lord and Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen.